That is a pretty good prayer. As we turn to Genesis 12 and we ask God's Spirit to show us Christ in these 20 chapters of redemptive history that we're covering uh, in this new Sunday series uh, in honor of our 20th anniversary. These are 20 chapters that we think are really important in the Old Testament. And of course, they're all important. Of course, we want to know all the Old Testament, but these 20 chapters in particular give us space holders. They, they kind of help us understand the big picture, what the theologians describe as redemptive history. So we covered Genesis chapter one and creation and what it means to be God's image bearers. We covered chapter three and what it means to have indwelling sin, to be broken image bearers. And now we're looking at Genesis chapter 12 and the introduction of a uh, really a, a covenant that God is making uh, with his people. It's a, it's a new beginning, another sort of Genesis in a sense. And I'm gonna just begin in chapter 12. I'm gonna read verses one through nine for starters. Now the Lord said to Abram or Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let me pray for us. Lord, show us Christ and reveal to us your glory. Lord, may all of our hearts be united in acknowledging Christ as Lord. We pray in his name. Amen. All right. So, uh, yeah, we're just getting our bearings in, uh, in the Old Testament, and especially in Genesis uh, chapter 12. The reason why uh, Genesis chapter 12 is so significant is because it introduces us to Abram, or Abraham, as he gets called later on. Uh, and I, I think Abraham is somebody that most of us are familiar with, like even if church is, is new to you, even if the Bible is not very familiar to you, many of us have heard about Abraham. You may not know about him, but you've heard of him. Uh, and then for those of you who, who are like, yeah, you know some things about Abraham and, and maybe you, know, you are a little more familiar with his story. 
what I might guess is that you, you probably aren't aware of how often he shows up. He's, he's frequently mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Anybody want to take a guess how many times he's mentioned in the New Testament? Like he's an Old Testament guy. He's in the New Testament too. How many times do you think? Dozen? Dozen's a good guess. It's wrong, but it's a good guess. A couple of dozen, that'd be wrong too. Three dozen would be wrong. Four dozen would be wrong. He's mentioned over 72 times in the New Testament. We need to get to know this guy. He's important. We, you need to understand Abraham's role in redemptive history. You need to understand Abraham's role in your history, in your family. To be in God's family is to be a son or a daughter of Abraham. That's how he constantly is referred to, you know, Father Abraham had, you know, many sons, right? So you remember that song from Bible school, maybe. Well, I'm going to read to you some verses from the New Testament just to give you a sampling. I'm not going to read all 72 of them. So John the Baptist begins his ministry and he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves or don't even imagine, right, for a hot second that, you know, we have Abraham as our father, I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. Uh, so John the Baptist is exposing this sort of hypocritical way of looking at people's Judaism going, well, hey, we're, we're Jewish, we're good. We've got Abraham as our father. And John the Baptist is saying, well, that's not about your bloodline. It's about what you believe. And then in Luke 19, Jesus is having one of those times where he's reaching out to the untouchables, to the people that everybody thinks you shouldn't be talking to that person. If you knew what she had done, you wouldn't be speaking with her. And then Jesus meets Zacchaeus. He's up in a tree. Nobody wants to talk to him because he's a you know, terrible, despised tax collector. And Jesus says, hey, I need to go have a party at your house today. Zacchaeus says, all right. And then Jesus pronounces blessing on Zacchaeus because of Zacchaeus' faith and repentance. Today, salvation has come to this house since he, Zacchaeus, also is a son of Abraham. And everyone went, say, what? How can he, a sinner, be a son of Abraham? Paul uses Abraham in Galatians 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted or credited or reckoned to him as righteousness. And know then that it is those of faith who are the sons or the daughters of Abraham. Like we become in, in included in that lineage through faith. Faith in what? Well, save the best for last. The very first verse of the first chapter of the New Testament, Matthew 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the true son. He's the true son of Abraham, and when we're in Christ, we become sons and daughters of Abraham too. More on that later, but I just wanted to let you know, we need to know about Abraham. He's not only a figurehead in the Christian story. Of course, he's a figurehead in the Jewish story. He's also a figurehead in the Islamic story. Like he's, he's, he's recognized in all these world religions, and yet you know, we need to understand his place in redemptive history. So let's start with this call that God issues and extends to Abram, to Abraham, 
Um, if you've still got your Bibles open, look at the beginning of Genesis chapter, chapter 12. Your, your Bible probably looks a lot like mine. It's got these, uh, these headings for the, the chapters or significant sections. And mine says the call of Abram, right? <clears throat> this is God's call to Abram. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, right? So Genesis 12 begins with God speaking and saying something. Just like Genesis 1 began with God speaking and speaking something into existence. And this is what God is doing in Genesis 12. He's speaking a whole nation, a new nation into existence. He's starting over with a new humanity and a new covenant that He's forming with his words, right? We saw that um, a couple of, uh, of Sundays ago. So when God speaks, things happen. And the story of Abraham is really a recapitulation of creation. It's telling that story one more time. Abraham, who is childless, you know, God's now saying, you're gonna not just be uh, the exalted father, uh, Abram, you're gonna be the father of nations, of multitudes, Abraham, like but he's got no kids. It's kind of a joke, right? That's why they laugh when, you know, God promises Sarai that she's going to have a child and they name him Isaac because she's laughing like, good joke, God, that's crazy talk. And she becomes Sarah, the, the princess. She's this royal mother uh, for this royal nation. And so God's speaking a nation. He's speaking uh, children into existence for you know these this old couple uh, of whom they're, they're, they've given up hope. Uh, that's not we don't have time to look into all that, but I just want you to see that creation um, mirrored in Genesis 12 because this is starting over. Genesis basically three through 11 is a dumpster fire. It's humanity's train wreck and how sin has affected us and we're broken and we're fallen and God starts over. Uh, and after the Tower of Babel, along comes this call to Abram. Abram, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And God goes and, he, and, and through the means of a covenant, enters into a relationship with Abraham. Uh, you've probably heard that language before, covenant. Um, it's, we, we still use it today in legal circles. But um, in the Bible, the best way to think about a covenant is uh, think about a very powerful king, a powerful nation, entering into an arrangement, an agreement with a lesser nation. Like a, a, they want to, I'm going to make you my ally. You know, I could, I could wipe you out. I could destroy you if I want, but I'm going to instead enter into a covenant. And here are the stipulations, you know, the, the, the powerful king telling the lesser king, this is how it's going to be. But if you abide by the covenant agreement, things will go well for you. If you don't, not so good, not so well, right? So it's a kind of a bully contract, you know, in the ancient Near East. But God picks up on that language and turns it upside down. He says, I'm not, I'm not here to bully you. I'm here to bless you. Yes, I'm all powerful. Yes, I'm omnipotent. I'm your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to take care of you in ways that you, you never imagined. Uh, this isn't the first covenant. Uh, the first covenant actually was made with Adam and Eve. And then there's a covenant with Noah. And the dictionary of biblical imagery says that while these, you know, Adam and Eve and Noah are true covenants, 
the covenant of redemption and grace that governs the Bible begins with Abraham. That's why Genesis 12 is really important. We want to understand that covenant, and so we, that's why we're in Genesis 12. It gets reaffirmed to Abraham's son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob, and then it gets reaffirmed to Moses, and then it gets reaffirmed to David, and then it gets reaffirmed in Jeremiah. And this is the language that we're more familiar with now, the new covenant, where God says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So all that, all, all that gets started, just like you guys are all trying to start your lawnmowers again this time of year. You're trying to pull that chain, you know, get that thing cranking. It all gets cranking in Genesis 12. And what does God promise to Abram? He makes five promises to him. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The five-fold promises of God sovereignly declared to Abram. I'm going to do this for you. And now, Abram, here's what you need to do in, in agreement to this covenant. If, you're, if you want these blessings, here's your end of the deal. And there's three things that Abram needs to do. Go from your country or your land and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You need to start over. You're starting new. This is a new creation. It's a new humanity. It's a new nation. And this is God's promise. If you, if you want these promises, you have to leave the old to embrace the new, right? So God's calling Abraham, sovereignly calling him. That's, you know, evident. And then Abraham responds, and he calls on the name of the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a back and forth. It's a reciprocal call. God calls to Abram, and Abram calls on the name of the Lord. And so you see verses four and following how Abram then leaves. He left Ur. We didn't hear about Ur. That was Ur, Ur, earlier in chapter 11. Uh, he, he's, he leaves Haran. He goes down to Canaan. And he's wandering through Canaan, and you see that he starts to build altars. In verse 7 and verse 8, he built an altar there where the Lord appeared to him and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. This is the land I promised you. And they're in Canaan. And so God, God's made this promise fulfilled, and now Abram's starting to call on the name of the Lord through these altars. There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And, and so he's gone throughout the land, and he's going, all right, I'm surveying it. I'm seeing what God has, has promised by faith. You know, he's, he and his descendants will receive this. So this is Abram's part of the deal. It's to go. It's, it's to demonstrate his belief, his faith in these promises through his actions. Now, I want to demonstrate this. So I need two strapping volunteers. How about John? How about Seth? Can you guys come up here real quick? You got a second? All right. Uh, over here is good. I think everybody can see over here. All right, so you guys stand over here. John, this is Seth. Seth, this is John. All right, good. I'm going to enter into a covenant with you guys. We're going to have a little mini covenant here right now. So the covenant is this. 
uh, I'm, I'm your pastor. I'm coming to you in authority, and I'm declaring to you that uh, I'm going to fall, and you're going to catch me. So the terms of the covenant are, I'm going to fall, and if you catch me, you will be blessed and renowned in this congregation for the man who did not drop your pastor. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good deal. And I'm going to get blessed because I'm the pastor that's trying not to bore everybody and come up with some sermon illustration. I don't know. Let's scoot up here so everybody can see. So you guys have done trust fall before? I trust these guys. I can say I trust them. I can say that, you know, that I heard them agree to the terms of the covenant. Will you, will you catch me? I'm going to fall. You're going to catch me? I'm not convinced. Okay. So... They're saying that, I can believe them, but there's one thing I have to do to demonstrate that I, that I actually do believe them. I have to do the trust fall. Can you guys face each other? And like hold hands or something. I don't know, I'm gonna fall <laughs> and you gotta catch me. So this could, I don't know how this is gonna end, but we'll see, we'll see here. Oh good, that's a happy ending. Uh, that's good. Thank you. All right, give them a hand. So. Oh, uh, always an adventure. Okay, uh, so yeah, to demonstrate faith, you have to act. And Abram had to demonstrate his faith that God was going to keep his promises, and there was only one way to do that. He has to take God, take God up on his promises. And that was to, to leave. And so if he's going to get a new country, a new land, or, or a new community, a new family... That means he had to leave the old behind. Uh, and that takes faith. It's something that's demonstrated. And, you know, so Abraham calls on the name of the Lord, and he would not receive God's promises unless he believed, unless he acted, unless he called. That's his reciprocal response to God's covenant. That's our response to God's covenant is to call on the name of the Lord, to believe, to act on that, on that faith through a changed life, through a new life, right? So sadly, if, as we continue, keep your Bibles open and look now at verse 10. Abraham gets off to a great start, but it, it doesn't go so well immediately after that. Um, now there was a famine in the land. Uh-oh. So all of a sudden, the promises seem like they, you know, they're being threatened. And Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe on the land. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. I know you are smoking hot. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say that you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. You see what's going on there? Abraham's scared. He senses danger. And he's, he's coming up with this plan. And it's not a good plan for Sarah. It's a good plan for him, but not for her. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. You know, yeah. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was then taken into Pharaoh's house. She becomes one of his concubines. 
and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. Pharaoh dealt well with Abram. You know, sheep and oxen and male donkeys and so on. So Abram starts off great, great guns, leaves Haran, heads down to Canaan, goes throughout the land, calls in the name of the Lord. He's off to this great start and then crashes and burns. He does what God requires. He leaves his country. But then it doesn't take long before he panics because of the famine. Like something isn't matching up to what he thought was God's promise of blessing. You ever had that happen? God promises to bless you. And then, wait a minute, this doesn't seem like blessing. And we panic. And Abram goes down to Egypt, even though God never said anything about Egypt. He never said a word about Egypt. He said, go to Canaan. And this is the land that I'm going to give you. He never said anything about Egypt, but God doesn't believe God can provide, or Abraham doesn't believe that God can provide for him, so he takes matters into his own hands. And then they get to Egypt, and then he smells danger, like, uh-oh, something's, something's up because, you know, Sarah is just, you know, cover model beautiful, and they're going to take her, and they're going to kill me. And so in his desperation, he comes up with this bonehead plan to <laughs> take matters into his own hands and you know, what he thinks is going to de deliver him uh, and, and help him. So some of the things that, that, that strike us here are completely off. Like that's sort of understandable, sort of like you know, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. It's kind of understandable, but it's wrong. It's bad. Why are you doing this? So you can imagine that Abraham is imagining that he knows he's in danger. He concocts this desperate plan to save himself at Sarah's expense. And he's okay with Sarah being, becoming a concubine as long as it saves his own skin. And he's probably even rationalized this, thinking something like this, like, okay, I can't be her protector and provider and you know, do my, my, my husband thing if I'm not around. So, you know, I guess we're just going to have to go with this. This is this necessary sacrifice in the end. This, this is, you know, better all around. He's probably rationalized it, right? And the whole plan is, say you are my sister. Look at verse 13. Say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. What do you do with stories like this in the Bible? This is one of the most important chapters in the whole Old Testament. And you got this bizarre episode of Abram shipping his wife off as a concubine to Pharaoh. Do you like puzzles? Anybody, we, we like puzzles when we go on vacation. So we were up in Maine this past summer and we had this lobster pound, you know, puzzle. You probably can't see it too well, but it's a, there's a lobster, you know, shack and all the lobster buoys and stuff and the water. And I don't know, you can get your lobster rolls, I guess, over here. So big thousand piece puzzle. And, you know, you pull all the pieces out and you try to find the edges and the corners and you're like, I don't know. This piece looks like maybe that's a roof. This piece looks like some water. This piece, I don't know what that is. You know, and, and you're lost with a thousand-piece puzzle unless you have this. But for every piece you, count, you take out, you go, okay, I get it. This piece kind of looks like a little bit of the roof. Oh, yeah. Oh, and this piece, is that's, a, that's like that orange boat. I'm going to stick that over there. And, and the, 
the picture on the puzzle box orients you to all the little pieces. And it's the big picture of, of redemptive history, of what Jesus has done for us that orients us to all the little stories and all the little pieces in the Old Testament, including this one. Abraham tells Sarah, say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When you're looking at stories in the Old Testament, when you're looking at stories in the Bible, you need to think, what does this tell me about Jesus? Show us Christ. Show us Christ. Show me your glory. Show me Jesus. I want to see his picture. And you can see it in positive examples and negative examples. You've got a negative example here. Jesus is not a shady character like Abraham seems to be. He knows that we are in danger, just like Abraham. He, he could smell the danger, something's up, and, G, and Abraham concocts this desperate plan to save his own skin at his wife's expense. Jesus knows that we are in spiritual danger, and he concocts this wonderful, eternal, unimaginable plan to save us at his expense. This will be better in the end. It's a necessary sacrifice that has to happen. And in Galatians, you know, what Paul, he, he, he spells it out for us. He says that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, right? I mean, if, if we think that the way to be in a right relationship with God is to keep all of the commandments, then none of us is ever going to be in a right relationship with God. We're good at some of the commandments. Each of us has a propensity to do a few things well, at least, but none of us can do all of them well. None of us gets it 100%. And so if you rely on, on obedience, uh, you're going to be cursed. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. And Paul goes on to say now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And this goes back to the story of Abraham, who was justified by faith. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, that the covenant language, cursing and blessing, blessing and cursing. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Talking about the cross. Jesus was cursed in our place so that we could receive the blessing that was due him. Uh, Paul continues, he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, to the nations, to us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. These uh, verses summarize what Jesus was doing as, as Abraham's substitute. The new covenant made with Jesus where Abraham failed. God makes that covenant with Jesus and Jesus keeps the covenant. And instead, I mean, we put the, this is so important. We, we put these verses on the wall in our sanctuary. You can look back and see them surrounding the cross. That's what the cross is all about. That Christ redeemed us from the curse of the covenant for failing to keep the covenant and by becoming a curse for us. So that in him, in Jesus, everybody who has faith in him would be blessed, just like you know, the, the blessing was promised to Abraham. Does that make sense? So how do we get that blessing? How are we saved? 
How do we escape danger? The same way that Abraham had concocted this plan with Sarah. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me. Jesus, I know that you are a Savior, beautiful in character. Say that you are my brother, so that it may go well with me, that my life may be spared for your sake. Do you see the parallel? So Sarah is an example of Jesus. She's, she's the one that's put up as the victim, the offering, you know, the sacrifice. And Jesus says, no, I'll do it. And he spares Sarah and he spares Abraham and he spares us because of his love and his, and his love for us. So when the righteous, uh, think of like those princes of Pharaoh, when they saw Sarah, they were like, whoa, and they praised her to, to, to Pharaoh. So when the righteous requirements of the law see Jesus, they praise him to heaven. And then for his sake, for, for Sarah's sake, you know, Abraham was spared. For Jesus' sake, heaven deals well with us. Because we are in him. He's our substitute. And the righteous shall live by faith. So um, Hebrews puts it beautifully in chapter 2. says that Jesus is not ashamed to be called our brother. I will call you my brother. We, we come to him, say you are my brother that it may go well with me. And he says, I will call me you, my brother. He's not ashamed to do that. So Jesus gives us the big picture. He is that, you know, picture on the puzzle box that we can see where all the pieces fit in, including this one in Genesis 12. So Abraham wasn't able to keep that covenant that God made with them. So Jesus steps in and he's the new keeper of the covenant. And the promises are the same. I'm going to make you a great nation. So now imagine the father saying this to Jesus. I'm going to make you a great nation. And God is making a new nation out of the church, out of those who are in Christ, who belong to Jesus. The church is the kingdom of God, the, the new nation that's comprised of saints from all nations. And the second promise was, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Probably some of you are familiar with the Philippians chapter 2 and that promise that God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, this great name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And when we come into to, to faith in Christ and we say to Jesus, say you are my brother, and he says, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. You're my brother, you're my sister. When we say that to him, we get a new name. What's our new name? Christian. God's great name that he, he gives to Jesus, the name above all names he puts on you too, so that in him all the nations can be blessed. We are named Christians and are called to bring the blessings of his kingdom down to earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And God says to Jesus, I will bless those who bless you. God will save. He will bless those who say yes to Jesus and join his kingdom. That's why as a church, we are called to go to our neighbors and to the nations with this message of blessing to all those who, are, who say to Jesus, say you're my brother, who put their faith in him. That's why you know, we, have, we, we don't do this automatically. We have to be reminded of it. And so every April, every October, we do our outreach months just to remember Wait a minute, I am here for my neighbors. I'm here for the nations. And to keep that outward face. So, you know, Easter's on its way, right? So what a great time to invite people to come and hear about Jesus. Come Easter Sunday, come to Tenebrae. What a beautiful service. And 
We're going to have this Mediterranean reception afterward. It'll be a great introduction for your friends, family members, um, shoot, even your enemies. Bring them too, whatever. And, uh, and, and introduce them to Jesus, right? More than bringing them to church, bring them into just your spheres, your circles, your family, your home. Have, share a meal with folks. And use this month, this is an emphasis month, to just reach out. You know, that's why we do our name tags. That's why we're doing the 30-second rule. You know, find people who are new and find somebody you don't know already and, and just think outwardly. Because that's why we're here. It's to bring blessing to our neighbors and to the nations. Uh, there is that, that also that covenant stipulation. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. The gospel is very clear that God will exclude. He will confirm those who reject Jesus, who dishonor him and say, I don't need a savior. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need grace. If that's their posture, God confirms that. And they're rejected. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in you, Jesus, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The church, the family of God, is God's plan to, to bless the whole world. Paul says it again in Galatians 3, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It is not saying to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are in Christ, you are in Abraham. You are his son, you are his daughter. Now this is your story. This is your family, through faith in Christ. So those are the promises that God makes to, to Jesus, the new covenant keeper, but the conditions of the covenant still apply to us. What's our response? Same one that Abraham had. Go, go from your country. Go from your land. Go from what was the old you. Um, and you know, as a Christian, you belong to the kingdom of God first. Secondly, you belong to whatever country you're from, right? So if you're an American, great, but you're an American secondarily. If you're from Mexico, great, but you're a Christian first. If you're from Ukraine, great, but you're a Christian first. If you're from Russia, great, but you're a Christian first. The kingdom of God has to be first. If you are saying yes to God, yes to his covenant, that means that those things are secondary. And that what's primary is Jesus and his kingdom. And that means all the nations, all the peoples, we're all gathered together around his throne. It's a whole new spin on how we view the world. And to leave your, not only your country, leave your kindred, your community, your, your culture, right? Like your, your understanding of, of, of how people should act and so on. I'm not talking about the law. I'm talking about just the ways that we enculturate life and so on. Paul talks about this. He says, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings, that I might be a blessing, that they might be blessed, that I might be blessed in that. Right? That's all that language from, from this covenant with Abraham. Paul was using his rights to bless people. He was forsaking his rights to serve people. He never used his rights. He never used his culture for the sake of depriving others or demanding his blessings. 
It's a new way of doing life. That's what we're saying yes to when we say yes to the covenant. And to leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And that means family. Does that mean we're all supposed to go run off and join some cult and we never talk to our parents again? No, 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 no. Priority. Jesus is first. Like This is a discussion that the disciples were having with Jesus and Peter begins to say to Jesus, look, look, we've left everything and followed you. This is hard. Jesus says, yeah, but truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Have you said yes to God's call? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you made that faith evident? Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your covenant promises. First made to Abraham, but he couldn't do it. Um, and, And so a new covenant head stepped in, Jesus. And those promises were made to him. And now through faith in him, we get to be on the receiving end of those blessings. Lord, would you find us faithful? Lord, would you help us to respond to your gospel of grace that includes us in your great nation, your family, the church? Lord, thank you for putting your great name on us in Christ. And we thank you for blessing those who honor your name by saying yes to Jesus. And so we pray that you would bring repentance and faith to those who have not yet said yes to Jesus, maybe even some here in this room. Lord, help them to to see Jesus and to connect those dots. And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, would you grow in our hearts a desire to be uh, an answer uh, to these prayers for blessing. Uh, Lord, that you would use us to bless the nations, to bless our neighbors, And we thank you for all the ways that you've shown love to us through Jesus and that you are calling us to show love to others in response. Lord, we are um, not, we, we don't deserve to be part of your family, but through your grace and your mercy, you have included us. And you have established this unique and distinct family of faith at Tabernacle, and we're grateful for it. And we pray you continue to show us more of Christ and more of your glory. And we pray that in particular for for specific families within this this church family. We pray for the Setons and ask for you to show your glory more to Scott and to Philip and Samuel and Daniel. Thanks for these men and how you've been faithful to them even through so much heartache. Thanks also for Jocelyn, her new family, and pray that you continue to show your goodness and glory to her. Lord, thank you for the disciples and for Adam and Amy, for their marriage and for their boys, Miles and Carter. Please show them more of Christ. Thanks for the shanks, and we ask for your mercy continually to John and Karen, especially with a lot of health concerns. Thanks that Karen's feeling better. Please continue to minister to their bodies and minister to their daughters, to Brianna and Caitlin and Kylie. Uh, we thank you for them. Please, please show them more of Christ. Thanks for Dick and Gail for how they, they encourage us and bless us and how you have been faithful to them. Please minister to their health needs and show them your sufficiency and your blessing. Uh, Thanks for 
uh, blessing a couple more families with, with uh, uh, babies that are on the way and do soon. So we just pray for your mercy and grace to the Blevins and the Kilmers and praise you for how you're growing them. Um, Lord, thank you also for our ministries here at Tabernacle, for the worship team and the AV team, and for those who serve so faithfully. And thank you for Karen for leading us and directing us with worship. Thanks for our partners uh, in ministry to, to bless our neighbors and the nations. We pray for the Slaters at JMU with Reform University Fellowship. Please bless Joe as he leads the staff and the volunteers and the students there. And we pray for, for many to, to say yes to Jesus and to enter into covenant with him. Thanks for our Presbyterian, for Boonesboro Presbyterian Church in Lynchburg. Bless their leadership, bless their, their, their membership, help them to grow and multiply. Uh, let them be a blessing to Lynchburg as you've called us to be. And Lord, we just continue to ask for your mercy on the world. Uh, there's plenty of hot spots, and especially in Ukraine. Please bless the people there. Protect them and give them courage, especially your, your people, your church. And Lord, we pray for the Russian people. Lord, give them conviction and repentance and cause them to resist uh, the, uh, the evil leadership. And Lord, to, uh, to say no to this war. And Lord, would you get glory there, we pray. Please bless the world. We know you've promised blessing to the world. Use us as, toward that end as your agents, we ask. And use these tithes and offerings to that end too, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.